Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Next question. Is it a good sign if the addict recently has started mentioning his feelings and is showing empathy and apologizing when he never used to know what his feelings, even know his feelings and when he always used to blame me? Or could this just be some sort of fake manipulation tactic they use? He worked with a CSAT for six months after finding out he was an addict. So maybe that helped somewhat. Thank you guys. Thank you. Um, love I, you guys. So love too. So. Oh, I feel, I, listen, I just say something about that. I feel loved that anyone shows up here and considers that, me too. that we can help them is an incredible gift of love to me. Anyway, so I, the first thing that came up of which like two thirds of the way through was how long. And then I heard working with a professional for six months. And so it sounds to me like, so you know what I'm thinking this question asked, Tammy, I'm going to feed this one to you. I'm going to ask you to answer it. How do I trust that what I'm seeing is true? How do I trust that what I'm feeling and do I want to encourage this moment or is it really not real? I mean, that's what seems underneath to me. What do you think? No, I, I, I do. And it's challenging because it involves vulnerability and risk because this person betrayed you and you know it. And now there's this period of time and they're acting different, but is it just acting? So I get all of those things. Um, but Ideally, I mean, that's what we're, the goal is that we learn to be in touch with our feelings, that we learn to have empathy, that we're not just giving fake lip service to sorry, 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 but that you're seeing things different, that the behavior is different. So to me, you know, I would be, I would be cautiously optimistic that he's moving in the right direction. Thoughts? I started. I think we have next question now. Okay. All right. Next question. I heard you are going to offer partner meetings like seeking integrity attendees. Is this happening specifically? Paul mentioned this over a couple's intensive, um, that you should email me for, cause that's all news to me. So, and how, so if, if anyone is looking for anything free or at cost, well, how would they reach you, Tammy and get that information? That would be at Tammy T A M I at seeking com. So, um, but because Tammy is a four letter word. Tammy is a four letter word. I am a four letter word, but yeah, that is, that is not something that we have 
on the radar at all. We've got so many, we've got the drop-in groups that are specifically, um, and there's, I know that there are partners of people who have been through the program, through our program. So we do, I do want to say one thing. We know a couple of people who do do, who do do paid partners work where they work like with a six week block. Like I'm thinking of Michelle. And I think that these kinds of support education groups are things that you can do online with people. And if you want to drop Tammy a note, um, and what I'm talking about is outside of our world, but that's fine. They're people we know and trust. They're doing like paid, you would pay them so much money and you'd work on certain exercise and activities and interact with the other spouses. And I hear that some of them are really wonderful, uh, but I don't want to mention them here on the, on this recording, but, but if you write Tammy, I'm sure she can recommend some. And I just did, but anyway, (laughs) but you didn't say it. So the next one is, can the codependency model prolong the addict's recovery work? I know in the short term, the addict is ecstatic about not being the blame. Can the addict suffer in the long term from the codependent model? And what advice and therapy should the addict be looking for? So first thing, can it be detrimental to recovery work? Well, actually, I'd love it if you would answer these questions first, Tammy, because I think that you, you lived in the world of codependency for so long. And this is a question that you might ask yourself as a recovering person. So how do you look at this now and, and how would you answer this for them? And then I'll jump in. Okay. I, I love Dr. Rob's book, Prodependence Moving Beyond Codependency. I love that book. I talk to so many partners all the time, every week, and they take on this shame and this guilt and everything. And absolutely, I think that, you know, addicts are going, well, if she or he just blah, 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 blah. So I think it makes it, I think it's an easy scapegoat for, well, they need to, if they were doing their work, if they needed to do whatever. So, so in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but yeah, I think it's, you know, blame shifting is such a part of addiction it's easy to blame that. And I think it's for couples, it's, there's the extra layer because now, you know, the partner who's going like, I've just been trying to hold things together is being blamed told they need to do their work. So I think it actually makes the gap bigger for doing the couple's healing work as well. So that's my thought. Well, you know, I'm not a fan of codependency and it's because I, um, I think that it's, brought a world of harm onto women for many, many years. And I think it really mirrors our history of shaming uh, caregivers, especially females. Um, We have a long history in humanity of doing that. But ultimately for partners, and I know we're going to say some of the addict, but I I think it it does leave you feeling somewhat responsible for the problem. I think it does leave you feeling somewhat like I need to distance myself from the person I love rather than work with them in the healing. Uh, Ultimately, I think it does say if you had if you didn't have all these problem issues, you would never have found, found this person or moved in with this person. Or, there's a lot of negativity assigned to the spouse for being in this situation with your partner who is addicted. And I think that's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Only my grandfather used to say that. A bunch of hooey. I think it's we love who we love and we stick by who we stick by and we will make ourselves crazy people uh, because we're trying to make someone we love better. And that's all seems normal to me. So I wrote this book called Prodependence because I really don't believe that partners are at all at fault on any level for having chosen us, lived with us, or had us end up in the situations or stay in the situations that us addicts do. And I think for far too long, we've placed responsibility, blame, or even curiosity on the, on the partners and, and parents, which is unfair. But to answer your question, um, I really love I don't like the codependency model in terms of the addict's perception, because what the codependency model says is 
if I'm a partner, I, I, I'm with you because I was traumatized in my early life and you appeal to me and because you and I both have trauma, but, and codependency also says, but once you act out your trauma, I have a chance to work on my own and get better. And if I get better, I may not be with you anymore and I'm just going to move on. So in essence, the addict under the codependency model is left with this feeling of, gosh, if I don't work hard enough, she could leave me. Uh, they, they were never with me for the right reasons in the first place. They were only with me because of my problems and their problems now, they, how they line up. And once they get better, maybe they'll leave. And it's a very, I think, um, while it might please some angry partners, I don't think that's actually what the reality is. Um, I think what soothes addicted people, especially when they're struggling, is prodependency. Because prodependence says to an addict, you know what? You know why that person stayed? They didn't stay because they were crazy. They didn't stay because they had trauma. They didn't stay because there was something wrong with them. They stayed because they freaking love you. And they turned their lives inside out, not because they wanted to act out some early childhood, blah, 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 but because they love you. And they remember how it was when it's good. And they wanted to get good again. So for me, you partners, you hold the key. Well, I think I'm getting a little emotional here. <laughs> you partners hold the key to who we were, to who we are, to who we might be. You have stayed with us and you still see that glint of gold in us, even though we have laid out our lives and made a mess of them and hurt you in the process. And I'm not talking about those of you who've been hit or violated because no one should put up with that. But in our worst moments, when we have truly let you down and not done well, I know that you are the only person who knows me in my best moments. And you have probably stayed with me hoping they will come back. And that is prodependence from the perspective of the addict. So therefore, I think you stayed with me all along because you love me and because you see the good parts in me and you're hoping that they will come back. And I like that perspective much, much better. What do you think, Tammy? Me too. <laughs> ditto, ditto, ditto. So, okay, next question. What is your recommendation for couples who have no CSAT therapist within multiple hours drive? We are trying to manage our individual therapists and couples therapists as well as we can so we can work through all this stuff but it's a little challenging when we're explaining the processes to them and the psychological theories behind each process in order to get them on board with us lack of financial resources to pay folks out of pocket is a major inhibitor for us but we really want to work through all this with some solid guidance well, I don't know what state these folks are in, but almost every state in the United States has some people who might be able to help you. Um, we know uh, pretty much people in the 50 states and all over the world, pretty much, although we're struggling finding people in Las Vegas. What a surprise. <laughs> um, but in any case, we know people all over, this, all over the place. So to answer your question, you don't have to have somebody, I mean, we are in the COVID digital age. You just don't have to have a therapist who's up the block. Some people would prefer to not have a therapist who's up the block. So, if, you know, if you live in San Francisco, you can have a therapist in San Diego. That would not be possible pre-COVID age because in case you don't know, those that's like almost a day's drive. But I can do it now and feel perfectly legal and safe. We actually have a, in California, a colleague, Skip Spear, who is in San Diego. And he sees all of his clients online. They're all in the state of California. He works with sex addicts. And they grew it very successfully. So I would not consider geography to be as much of a challenge as it used to be. And look at us. I mean, hopefully we're learning and we're growing. I mean, we can't see you guys, but there certainly could be two therapists and two clients up here working together. And that happens all the time today. So um, I think it's a different world. And if you want a referral, you can write Tammy at seekingintegrity.com. She'll probably find someone 
can you find someone to pay us $10 if you refer and they take the client? <laughs> and, oh, that's not legal. That right? would be that's not legal. And I would never okay. do that. So, so, but, so here's my thought in this too. So first of all, I love that you're, you're bringing your therapist along and honestly, <laughs> for a couple, no, really. I mean, like they're doing a great job. We're explaining the process to them. Look what you're learning and you guys are working together to get there. So as far as a couples therapist, you know, at a certain point, you know, working on some couples therapy, but consider, um, the couples workshop online. It's not a therapy, but the, I, you, that may oh. check it out. It's, there's six uh, sessions and it may give you some useful tools that you may find really helpful. So check it out so that I will put yeah. the link, but it's on, well, no, I already did. It's on seeking integrity, but, but uh, otherwise add- the two of your therapists doing conjoint therapy can be really helpful. You've brought both of them along. So having them do conjoint couples therapy, you know, as you need it, you know, maybe another useful item. So. Well, that's, thank you, Tammy. I knew you were going to get there. You don't, may not need that third party. You know, if your therapists are willing to work together with the two of you, I think it would cost a little bit more, but you wouldn't have to introduce someone due to the problem. Your therapist would get to hear each other, what the other is dealing with. And, you know, there shouldn't be a lot of secrets. I mean, certainly there are personal things and your inner therapist wouldn't come up, but the four of you should be able to be in a room in, in, in a very productive way. And with Zoom, you can do that. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. Okay, next question. We've got time. Today, my therapist told me I was an addict of my SA. Oh, so wait. So I think I'm reading. This is a partner that, and the therapist. This, this is, you know, how you, so Dr. Rob does these presentations. He's got a slide that, and this sets my hair on fire. I think my hair just went on fire. So today, my therapist told me I was an addict of my SA right? Am am I reading that right? I do not agree. I'm an addict. I feel it is due to love as we have been together 15 years. This is a partner. Do you believe that the betrayed spouses are addicts too? I know you are completely against codependence. So I guess you believe I'm not an addict too. No, no. I think that's part of the misconception of codependency is that partners have some kind of addiction or something wrong with them. Again, I think you love who you love. Um, I think that what happens for your partners, and this has been written about, not called codependence, but called um, co-addiction. And it was written about by Claudia Black, Dr. Claudia Black in the 1970s. And she had this concept of that partners, let's say the partner of an alcoholic, is addicted to the alcohol, just like the other, only, you know, it's kind of like I'm obsessed with their drinking. Or in, in our case, it's I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed with their phone bill and their, their email and, and what's online and what they've been doing. And, you know, I just want an encyclopedic knowledge of everywhere they've gone. And that's what happens to the partners. I'm not actually obsessed with you, my husband or wife. I love you or I hate you, but I'm not obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with what the heck's going on here. What are you disappearing into? What the heck, what don't I know about? What are the secrets? Um, and that's really what sort of I would call is the direction of the focus of the partner. But let me say this, and Tammy never hears me say this, because partners are not addicts, partners get different treatment. Addicts require 
uh, confrontation of denial, challenge of faulty thinking, redirecting how they've looked at things into looking at them differently. They need concrete exercises in relapse prevention and recovery. They need to be building a social network. There's a lot of work that addicts need to do. That's why addicts go to treatment and partners don't necessarily for as long as the addicts do. What you partners need is support and validation and normalization. And you just need to understand that you have been living with someone who you loved and you don't, maybe didn't expect it, but they've been lying to you. And your whole world is on tilt. Well, if they were lying about this, maybe they're lying about everything. And maybe I should just forget all about it and pretend I, it didn't even. I've had spouses lately tell me, I don't want to know. I, I just rather, and I can respect that. But I think they, I think they're, anyway, it doesn't matter what I think. I think they're taking care of themselves. But is there anything you want to add to that question, Tammy? Because I got very, very Road emotional. Independence. Please feel free to give this to your therapist as well, or have them reach out. I mean, we have prodependence.com as a website. Have them look at that. But yeah. Well, okay. I also run, I also, just to say it, Tammy, if you don't mind, I don't, I really don't mean to be an anti feminist, like cutting the woman off by the me and the man. Anyway, I don't mean to all that, but I, I have been cutting you off today. I'm sorry. Um, I do, let me just say this. Um, um, I just wanted to say to those folks who, just so you know, now, I've been licensed for 25 years. I've written 10 books. I've opened seven or eight treatment centers. I, this is what I do. And when I'm gone, there'll be someone else who does it. But, oh, excuse me, I snorted. But at the moment, I'm pretty much, you know, one of the people in this arena. And, you know, why am I saying that to you? Well, certainly because I'm available here. Anytime you actually want, you know, to talk to somebody, you can work in these groups and all that stuff. Um, but now I want to answer the question now that I put my full self out there tell me where's the question i put it in i put it in answered so so the um it says do you believe that the betrayed spouses are addicts too i know you completely oh right thank you so yeah so i have um never felt that new partners deserve anything more than compassion and love and i felt when we ever tried to apply this idea that there was something wrong with you that you get angry and the addicts go ooh. (laughs) um i do think that it is um, in the therapy world, we believe in this concept of attachment. And then we move through life with very profound, meaningful attachments, and they are our foundation. And, you know, in our world and in childhood, there are caregivers. And as we age, it's more our social group and our friends. And then we find a home and we pair bond and we create, you know, that nest eventually there. So... Do you believe the betrayed spouses are addicts too? That's what oh, the right. question is. So. so, you know, you just can't anticipate that this is going to happen to you. Tammy knows that this is medication that I'm taking. So this is why I'm forgetting everything. Um, so I don't believe in this model that says that you could have anticipated this, this would happen. You thought this might happen or there's something wrong with you for not seeing that it didn't happen. I don't ascribe to any of that. What is the biggest changes you see in the men in your treatment center from when they check in to when they check out? Thank you. They come alive. That's the best word I can use. They come to life. It's like stick like figures walk in and say like, here I am. I'm a guy. I'm in trouble. And they have no, it's, it's like taking someone whose world is black and white and turning it into color. All of a sudden they see, I think the, subtleties of how they affect other people of, I mean, they're living in a community. So everything they do, everything they say, everything they, every way they respond is reflected black to them. They get to learn about where they show up, where they don't, where they're present, where they're not. I think a lot of, I think, so I, I guess the best thing I could say is I think they wake up. I think they come to life. 
And it's all of a sudden, I think it's all of a sudden, it's a lot of work. The people I work with begin to see themselves as a much, not as someone who could disappear and just go away and do something and then come back and no one ever knew. They see themselves as a part of everything, a part of community, a part of family, a part of, I think they learn that they cannot go off and go do something anywhere, anytime without having a profound effect on themselves and everybody. And that's a very different look, way of looking at the world than somebody who just says, well, I'll go off and have an affair and no one will know. So I think that nobody leaves. Here's one more thing I'll say, and this is not new about treatment, but this is a good thing to say. Um, we ruin the acting out. One of our jobs is that nobody goes back out there and does it again without understanding how it's going to affect the people they love and themselves. And so I think one of the things that treatment centers in general do is ruin using for people. You may go back to it, but you know what it's going to cost you. You know what it's going to cost others. And you never have that feeling of kind of naivete, like, oh, this is fun and I can do this and no one will know. Now you know. And I don't think that ever goes away. Um, yeah. Any additions, Tammy? You, you yeah, know. I, do. Um, I, I had several thoughts. One was from a therapist who commented, mm, I don't remember exactly when, but not too long after her client was back. And um, uh, it was a female therapist. She, she met with her client. And she said, he looks different. Like his countenance is different. And I thought, I believe that because I think the shame and the guilt and all that garbage that, you know, people, addicts are carrying around with them, they, they don't have to continue that. So it's kind of like, ah, oh. and, and I've had it from partners as well. They've talked about, um, like they see a difference, you know, so there, it's not just, um, I do believe I, you know, I believe that we start being connected in a real and meaningful way, but, but they're also able to show up in different ways so that, that their loved ones see them as different. And I think that's a huge thing, you know, um, uh, b because then you're starting to have that interaction and it isn't, you know, just in the silos of dissociation that we, you know, w that we bring in. So Hopefully that helps. But yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a big fan of the expert treatment. I love treatment. It's yeah. like a bath and it's, it's like growing up. A lot of times, oops, I'm looking for a pad to write on. Um, I think I've been told, and I would agree with the statement, that I've spent many years turning boys into men. And I think I really teach men their responsibilities and where they need to show up and how some of their desires are not ones that match where they are in life and that they have to be more responsible people. And, uh, yeah, I will tell you though, Tammy, I've never said this to you, but the biggest concern of every man who leaves treatment, have I told you this? No. Is my wife going to leave? Oh mm -hmm. my God. I understand what I did. I understand what it's cost. I get it. And oh my God, now I see what I have to lose. And um, I think a lot of them, when you sit in group on their last couple of days, they're like, oh, I just had to talk with her. I don't know. You, now they realize what a family was, how important that was, what a spouse was, how hard that is to find. Like they kind of wake up and realize what they've had and they're terrified all of a sudden of losing it. Whereas before it was like, oh, I can do this and no one will know. I think that's a really important point because, well, let me just say this one more thing about treatment because I love it. love talking about it. I often talk to the guys and I do groups with the guys and uh, uh, they get a little scared when I come in because I often know things and pull out things and throw it at them in a nice, sometimes not so nice way. But um, I was going to say about that. But one of the things that the men say to me all the time, and I think that you guys will relate to this, is 
I often say things to them, like I'll, I'll be in a group and I'll say, blah, 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 blah. And they'll say to me, how did you know that? You know, and what I'm saying to them is this isn't okay. And you do it this way. That's not fair to your spouse, blah, blah, blah. And they say, why did you, how did you know that? I'm like, well, that's obvious. And they say, but my wife has been saying that to me for three years and you said it and I could hear it. And I think one of the, sorry wives, but I think that you get dismissed for so long. Oh, she's just nagging or boyfriends, whatever. He's just giving me a hard time. You know, that you get pushed away for so long in responding to things that are actually true, but you get pushed away. Like it doesn't matter. I don't want to hear that. Leave me alone. And finally, you know, the authority figure comes and says the exact same thing that you do. They're like, wait a minute, maybe I should have been paying attention to my family's important. I have to show up on dinner on time. I'll never date unless I stop doing this. I mean, they kind of get it. And, um, and that's really, really, so yeah, I think treatment is amazing, but only for those truly who want their lives to change. Most people come to treatment. I'm saying one more thing. Sorry, I can't stop talking about treatment. I love it. I've been doing it for 25 years, my whole career. I'm defending my right to talk on my own conversation show. I want to say that. I'm a um, all right. Well, why don't we go on to more questions? I could. No, no, no. Opine, no. Opine. no, no, you go. I could well, opine on that forever. So Dr. Robin, well, Dr. Robin, I talked about, we just talked about this about a week ago and he said, you know, our, our 14 day program, it's like doing two years plus of, of therapy, you know, of weekly therapy, you know, in this condensed. And I think it's so helpful because, you know, going to weekly therapy, you don't have the structure in place. Um, it's hard to be in the in-between and not really have the tools to use and, and not, people lie a lot. Try not to act out, but jeepers, I don't have it any different, you know, so, so to get that, condensed um you know time to to really push through and make a lot of progress and i also want to call you on because you said go back to the fun of acting out and i'm like i think there probably was some fun at some point but then it's chasing the fun that you think you're going to have and it's less about the fun mm -hmm. that you're having because that was my experience anyway i was like well i had fun once i should be able to find that again and that was very elusive so okay so ready for the next question? I'm still trying so hard to understand addiction. I wonder how an individual's brain can hijack them and cause them to cheat on their partner. I also wonder if addicts ever stop this behavior on their own and if they are ever moments of clarity when they could stop on their own. Hard to believe that they act out for so many years before getting caught. Well, that's about nine questions. Yes. So I'm thinking so at least. I, Do you have whatever one you want to pick out of that Well, the, the first piece is I wonder how an individual's brain can hijack them and cause them to cheat on their partner. So let's talk a little bit about what really happens. Okay. The way addiction is evolved is that children, very, very young children have difficult experiences that can be neglect. That could be a whole bunch of things that can happen to them. And children learn how to survive difficult experiences by using fantasy. So I had a mentally ill mom and she was often in and, off, in and out of hospitals. She was very inappropriate. She'd walk around naked and sometimes she would attack people. It was very sad. And when things were very, very difficult, I would run over to the window in my bedroom and I'd close the door and I'd look outside and I'd see the cars going by and I would count them and I would make little lists of the cars and I could see a Buick from a, the other thing I learned to do was read and I would read and read and read and I would take the same book and read it 12 times. And I read the encyclopedia and what I was in, it was in my room. And the point was, is that I found a place to go in my head where I didn't have to deal with anything that was going on around me. I could just be there. Mm -hmm. 
And because children are not sophisticated enough to say, oh, well, I'm just sad because that's going on over there. You know, they don't know what's going on. They're just looking for a place to feel better. And if the people who love them aren't making them feel better, then they've got to go themselves to find a place. I learned to space out, look out the window. Oh, I can tell you this day, if I'm reading a book or I'm watching TV and someone comes up to me and starts talking to me, I don't hear them because I learned to deeply disappear into the things. That was how I survived. I don't hear a thing when I'm reading. And I think sex, it was a natural extension of that. It was an intense, exciting, emotional place to go that left me thinking about nothing but that. And everything else went away. And I think that that the learned experience of fantasy over and over, finding places to go to survive in fantasy, and perhaps in some ways either being sexualized as a child or finding ways to comfort oneself through sexual touch, the sex becomes a part of it. So it's a very early learned behavior. Most sex addicts I work with would say, gee, I knew something wasn't right when I was 14. You know, long before they met, and they, I knew I was different in some way around sex or dating. It's often the kid who, like when people are making out, he knows what he's doing. It's not like the other kid is like fumbling around. He's going for something. He knows what he's looking for. He's going to, he's already going to try to take advantage of that situation on some level. He's 14. So this starts very early in very various forms and it plays out as it does over life because it does not get resolved. What was the next piece? The next piece is I also wonder if acts ever stop this behavior on their own. All right. So I'm going to be really honest with you folks. Um, I've never said this before, uh, but I'll say this part first. If I had a thousand sex addicts in front of me, 995 of them would have gone to treatment because they wanted to get out of trouble. Most people in life who enter treatment go to treatment because not because they want to be a better person, not because they want to make somebody happy, not because they um, want to grow. They go because they want to get out of what they're in trouble about 995 out of a thousand. And I don't care that people are not motivated for treatment when they arrive they're motivated enough to be there to get out of their trouble. And my job is to take that motivation and turn it around and say, look at yourself, look at how you got here, look at what you've done and how we can fix it. And, um, and we proceed to try to fix it. So um, I don't think that most people on their own just randomly decide to get well and go get help. Here's the thing I've never said. I'm one of the five. I enter treatment because I, was, didn't want to be lonely anymore. I wanted to have a relationship. I didn't like the way my life was going. And I knew this was a place where I could get help. So I didn't have a relationship. I wasn't in trouble. I, I just wanted to have a life and I couldn't. And I knew why. I mean, it was obvious to me why. So, you know, I, I'm pretty happy about that. Actually, I feel kind of good about that. Never told you that, Tammy. Never told anyone that. But, um, but the reality is that, my, and I had consequences too. I couldn't date. I couldn't meet people. I couldn't be sexual in the way I wanted. I couldn't hold on to somebody when I was just at that time when I wanted to have a relationship. It's just, they weren't the same kind of consequences that most people have when they join treatment. Did that answer that? Yes, you're doing great. So then the next okay, thing is, um, are there moments of clarity when they could stop on their own? Yes. Every addict has a moment where they think, what am I doing? What am I doing here? This is crazy, but it doesn't last. Exactly. It's drummed out by the, uh, I shouldn't do this. I don't want to be here. Oh, but look at that. And then their own neurochemical process of fantasy and dissociation takes over and they disappear. And so what you have to understand about acting out is it's just like drinking, just like gambling. Intellectual thought is not much of a part of it. The brain is overrun by adrenaline, oxytocin, endorphins. It's run by this, it's overrun by the, our neurochemicals of mood. 
So when I want to go act out, I'm filled with adrenaline and endorphins. And I, I it's like, it's like um, being in tremendous fear combined with excitement and, and enthusiasm. So instead of just being afraid, I'm, I'm afraid and excited. The adrenaline's there, but so are the other hormones that make me feel good. But when you get afraid, when adrenaline shows up, you really lose your ability. You become tunnel vision. It's like if there's a fire, I got to get out. If there's an earthquake. You know, you get very focused on what you need to do in that moment. And that's kind of what addiction is like. There's a fight or flight piece, which is excitement and fantasy driven. And then the person gets into the behavior and it starts to feel good. And you've got all that intensity combined with the excitement. And it's very hard to turn away and say, no, we say that someone who's on the way to acting out is like a rock rolling downhill. You know, maybe at the beginning they could say, ooh, this isn't a good idea. But by the time they actually get to the behavior, it's too late. And Kat, Tammy, you're rocking back and forth. Are you praying? Oh, no, I'm that? agreeing with you. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm but, totally oh, up. I'm, yep, I'm, this is know, the I'm in agreement with Dr. Okay, because, you know, Jews daven and they do it like oh. this. So I was thinking, oh, Tammy's praying in some way. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Got that. Yeah. Let's go. Well, so the, the tail end of it was hard to believe they act out for so many years before getting caught. And I'm like, we are very good at, you know, lying to ourselves and to everyone else and manipulating the situation. And, oh, yeah, I'm just going out for, you know, coffee with a friend, you know, whatever. So, yeah. You know what we're playing off of? We know that you would never think we'd be doing that. We know that that would be the last thing that you would think. So we're constantly playing against your faith in us and your, we don't think of it that way, but it's like, oh, I'll just tell him or her that and they'll believe that. Or even if they don't believe that, they wouldn't think I was doing this because it's so far from what most of you would think any of us are doing that um, oftentimes we'll hear things like, do you have a drug problem? Like you're disappearing, you're doing, but not the actual thing that we're doing. It would never occur to a partner that we're doing that. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.